You know, and Abraham and Sarah were foretellers. They're a picture of the couple we're going to talk about today, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were a picture of those, this couple. And this couple would bear a son that would be a picture of the son to be born we're going to talk about in a few weeks. that We're getting ready for a Christmas. That's Jesus. And in many ways, John is, a, uh, is, is paving the way. Even by his birth, he's paving the way for Jesus' coming, which is really cool. And so as we continue on, I want to share with you this morning in my opening slide as I kind of turn this and get this here. This is a picture from the Israel trip of the Judean hill country. You see that okay? And this, this is where the story we're going to talk about today takes place. Not maybe necessarily in this exact spot, as they told us, uh, but it, this is what the Judean hill country looks like. So if you want a picture of in your mind of where did Zechariah and Elizabeth live, it was this beautiful hill country here in Israel. And, and so that should kind of set the stage for us as to where they lived and what a beautiful place it was. But also, um, for me, you know, as I look at getting to go here, this is our first stop, you know, when we got to Israel off that plane and we went in, and this is our first stop. And the, the very fact that I could even be there and be on that trip was a complete gift to me. But it was not the greatest gift I could have received this year. It wasn't. As a matter of fact, there isn't anything that any of us are going to get for Christmas that is better than the gift we've already gotten. And that is the very gift of God's grace. Amen? Amen. The gift of God's grace. And I want to just tell you this, if you want to write it down, God's grace is a, is a gift greater than anything, anything you could receive at Christmas time. It's, it's greater. God's gift is greater of grace than anything you know, in God's grace, let me explain grace and mercy because really they're kind of uh, married to each other. Grace is giving me what I don't deserve. Mercy, though, is relieving me of what I do deserve. You think of that story Jesus told of the man who had owed so much money, it was like three lifetimes of money to a king, and the king said, after his begging and pleading, I forgive you, you're, you're, you're free of the debt. That was mercy. He relieved him of that great pressure, and then his grace was that he was giving him what he didn't deserve. He deserved punishment. He deserved death. And we get grace and mercy, so they kind of travel together, right? And, and so, but here's the funny thing about grace is that we can really live ignorant of it. Isn't, isn't that true? Especially to those of us in the church, grace can be like that gift under the tree that's the last gift. And it's, not, it's the last gift under the tree because we've already opened up the things we were hoping to get and we are happy with. But we kind of somehow found out about what that gift was, and we're not as excited about it. You know, that's, grace is that last gift under the tree. And today, what I'm going to take you on a journey of as we look at the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah again, is that you open up the gift of grace that God has given you, and you've probably had for a long time, and that you open up that wrapping slowly, and that you look in that box, and you stay there for a while. Because that's exactly what God did in the life of Elizabeth Zechariah. He encouraged them. He had them stay in a place for a while where they grew to appreciate and love the grace of God that was expressed in their life through this wonderful birth of a son. And so that's where I want to take you. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. And before, as you're turning to Luke chapter 1, I want to actually read to you what happened. This was a few weeks ago. If you didn't get a chance to um, hear the sermon about when the angel visited uh, Zechariah. You could always tap Pastor Jim after church and he can preach it to you, okay? Uh, but if he doesn't have time for that, then you can go back and actually watch it online. But let me just refra uh, refra or revisit what the angel said to Zechariah. 
He said to him, don't be afraid, because uh, here's Zechariah's servant in the holy place. Uh, amazing chance he had once in a lifetime, and this angel appears on top of that. He says, your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. So they've been praying for years that she could have a son, but she's very old, and you're to call him John. He'll be a joy, a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born, and he'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord and their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. What does the spirit and the power of Elijah look like? To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So you remember what happened uh, as we heard this story and, and, and studied it a few weeks ago? Biggest moment of Zechariah's life, and he blows it, right? He blows it. He asks God, he asks the angel, can, I, can you kind of like, kind of tell me, give me a sign, some way that I would know this is going to happen? And he blows it. And what I think is so amazing is that we learned about God's grace that day, didn't we? I mean, the angel didn't, the angel didn't say, well, he failed, so we're going to move on to the next priest. No, God chose to go with Zechariah and said, okay, there's going to be consequences to what you just said, but we're going to keep walking with you. You're going to go on a journey with me, and I love that. It reminds me of 2 Timothy when Paul writes to Timothy, if we are unfaithful, he, God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. It's the very nature of God. He is faithfulness. Therefore, we may falter and we may fail. I encourage you to go listen to that sermon because it taught us that grace is a gift that often we can so lose sight of. I don't believe that Zechariah lost sight of it. He and Elizabeth were very, very tied to this. And so as we go back to this land of the Judean hillside, I believe that I picked this as our title because Jehovah is a gracious giver. That is exactly what I believe this couple dwelled on. In the context of their home in these, hill, in these hills, they, they lived and they sat upon that truth that God is a God of grace. And so I'm going to give you today that one gift of grace in six different ways uh, on your outline that I believe God gave to this couple, which, which he offers also to each one of us at this Christmas time as we get ready for Christmas. So if you'll stand with me as you, if you found Luke chapter 1, uh, let's go ahead and open our Bibles. Luke chapter 1, verse uh, 57. And I ask you to stand because we want to honor God's word and we simply uh, do that by standing. And let me read for you. Uh, from Luke 157. Now, the time, it came, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy, great grace to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on that eighth day, on the eighth day after the birth, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And, and he asked, Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosened, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on the, neighborhood, the neighbors. And all of these things were talked about throughout the hillside, the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be for the hand 
of the Lord was with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Now, the first thing I want you to see, Elizabeth and Zechariah received from Jehovah the gracious gifts of a promise. Now, that was the sermon, you know, before that kicked off the, the promises, right? But in this case, in this passage, the gift wasn't so much the promise as it was the promise fulfilled, right? That was the gift because it's one thing to get a promise. It's a very different thing to get the promise and see it fulfilled. I mean, think about how much time had passed. Think about how much was potentially uh, going to go wrong. Uh, ladies, how many of you have had a baby? I mean, you've had, we got babies in this room. Abby's here with her little baby the first time. Okay, don't crowd her too much after church, but Abby's here with her new little baby boy. And so we, we have babies. Ladies, I don't know how you do it, but think about the first century. Archaeological evidence shows us that in this time, in the ancient Israel, uh, having, a child, having a child was a dangerous thing for a woman. In some areas, infant mortality approached 50%. And as far as life expectancy of women, about 30 years of age. 10 years less than the life expectancy for males. And what's the factor there between men and women? Childbearing and giving birth. And that's incredible. So Elizabeth was much older than that. She was, she was considered an old woman beyond childbearing years. And so you can imagine that what went along with that, once she got the promise and then she began to feel her body changing, she couldn't get the ultrasound. She didn't do any of that, right? She just had that wonder of like, what is going on inside of me? It never happened to her before. And I'm sure she had some worries. All of you that have had babies have had worries, right? You have those moments where things are seeming to go wrong and you're worried Imagine the worry in her heart as she knows she has a promise, she knows she has a baby, and yet you're, you're concerned and worried, is the baby okay? It didn't move today, and all those things that go along with it. So she's, she's got that time that goes on. And so what was the promise, though? What was the promise that she got? And, and, and again, I just want you to enter into her world because, I mean, who knows how many miscarriages she had over the years, right, and still didn't have any babies, uh, you just got to imagine how much she went through to get to this fulfillment. It's no small thing. But Gabriel said this. Remember, Gabriel said, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and he'll be a joy and a delight. And, and, and many will rejoice because of, his, because of his birth. And so, so now, at this moment, Luke chapter 1, 57, she bore a son, right? The time had come, and she bore a son. So the, the timing was right. The timing was what God had ordained, and this was the time. And so that's our, our next gift I want to show you is that she made it. The boy survived. She survived. It was a, actually a miraculous gift that no one ever thought would happen, which is why there's so much joy around it, right? And so the second thing I want you to see is that a promise fulfilled was the first gracious gift given to them, but then also time. Time was a gift, and we don't often think of time, like Stephanie said a moment ago to the kids, we do not think of time as a gift often. We don't like to wait, do we? That's why many of us choose the microwave over the slow cooker, right? It's like, I'm, oh, I got to heat up my leftovers from last night. We don't throw it into uh, the crock pot, right? Not, we don't got time for that, right? So microwave it is, right? So that's what we do. But but that's, that's truly a gift that was given to Zechariah and Elizabeth, a divinely appointed waiting time. Nine months of waiting through pregnancy, 
reflecting. And, and it says that, that Elizabeth secluded herself. She went away on her own, and she, um, she had this time. And so month one, month two, month three, four, five, and you can imagine the things going through her mind, the worries. And then at month six, as we learned last week, who showed up in the door? If you're paying attention, Mary. Mary comes through the door. And again, divinely appointed that God sends Mary to bring encouragement to this woman to remind her that her God is a gracious giver, right? And so, and Mary, it says, stayed for three months. So if you do the math, it's quite possible that Mary was there for the birth, that, that what we're reading today in the text Mary was there to witness. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say, but I just think it's kind of cool that God sent Mary for that last three months to encourage, to bless, to remind Elizabeth and, and Zechariah of what they had heard and that it was true. And especially when you consider what was in Mary's song we learned last week. Oh my goodness. What an amazing thing. But Zechariah, you know, was also given the gift of time, but his gift of time was not with a baby inside of him. His was with something that he lost, and that was his voice. And I kind of think about his scenario, his story. He had that time where he had lost something, and he was waiting. And I bet you he reflected a lot on what Gabriel said. Gabriel said, now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. What's this? The birth, Right? Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So here's that, that issue of time. And so I wonder if, if Zechariah had spent a lot of time, I know I would have, thinking about, okay, when that day that comes, that boy's born, I get my voice back. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. And guess what the text tells us? It says, at the text that we read today, it says that it was nine months and eight days. Eight days had passed since the day this happened. How about you and me? I think I'd have struggled with that. I would have gone to bed on the first day after my son was born and said, okay, I'm going to go to sleep, and I'm hoping I wake up and my voice is back. It's not back the next morning, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. God, what is going on here? Right? And I think that's just human nature. Again, we don't know what's going on in Zechariah's mind, but I know what I would be asking and, you know, I would say to myself, you know, God, if it were up to me, this is how it would happen. But knowing that Zechariah was a man of God and he was a man that would have poured over Scripture, I wonder if he pondered this passage from the prophet Isaiah, where Isaiah says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord Almighty. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I believe that Zechariah was a man, he says that he was a righteous man, and he pondered things like this and would have thought about the fact that, you know what, it's okay, it's all right, I'm trusting the Lord, I don't know when it's going to come, but I'm content. And that's a lesson that we need to learn. You see, some of the greatest lessons of faith in this adventure of becoming like Jesus comes at times when a dream, uh, a dream or a, an ability, a possession, a person taken away. We're left to wonder and ponder and wait. And that's when we can get derailed. That's when we can get forgetful about God's grace and his goodness. And that's when we can go to other ideas and other ways and we, we go down these paths we never should have. And we should remember what the writer of Hebrews says, which I love. And this is a statement of time. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. He is timeless. 
He never changes. So don't be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace. How do we get through the waiting? How do we get through what God is doing in our lives when we don't understand it? We rely upon and find strength in the grace of God. And that's why I put that present in front of you today and say, open it up. Look into that box that is the grace of God and ponder it and think about it and let it pour over you because it will change everything. The way you look about life, the way you look at your kids, the way you look at your friends, the way you look at your circumstances, pour over the grace of God. I really do believe that's what Zechariah and Elizabeth did for that nine months and eight days, you know? And so faithfulness, God's faithfulness. Um, I think that, that we can also see it as a thing where I believe that God was helping Zechariah get in touch with his own wife even. Because you remember the shame that she went through in not being able to bear children. Don't you think that Zechariah would have endured some shame from people that said to themselves, well, we know why he lost his voice. I better believe that, you know, if it was me in there, I would have believed that angel. This guy's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And I bet you that he endured a lot of shame and judgment from people when he, people say all kinds of stuff, especially if you can't talk back, right? Uh, And so he endured all that, and I believe he endured it, and God used it in his life to to understand and to empathize with his wife and what she had been through. You know, God can, God can use our own pain to help us empathize with those who are the closest to us and to open our eyes to what they've been through. And I believe that was happening, all that, in their lives. God had not been unfaithful to Zechariah, although it could be viewed that way. Where's my voice, right? There was a, yet another opportunity coming for Elizabeth and Zechariah to fill up on the faithfulness of God, Right? And here it was, reminding of what Gabriel said. Gabriel said this, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. So there's the promise. The promise is followed by a command. Call that boy John. It's not an option. You are to call him John. So the promise is followed by a command. So right here we have, this is where he failed. This is opportunity. Okay, are you gonna do it or you're not gonna do it? And so we move on in the text. Let me, let me go there. What happens is that the, the next thing I think that God gave them as a gift was a name because it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity to follow through, an opportunity to obey. And I believe we're all given the same opportunity. And in their case, it was a name. And so let's look at the passage again, Luke chapter one again. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. Now, we can pass over that really easily and see it, but I want you to understand that the name that was given to them for this boy actually is embodied in what the people did. They reacted by the fact that they had heard that God, Jehovah, had shown great mercy, great grace to them by giving them this boy. And that's literally the meaning of John's name. Jehovah is a gracious giver. That's your title, okay? Jehovah is a gracious giver is the name John. And so that's, that's what they were doing was celebrating that fact that God had given them great mercy in this boy. And I love that. But you know, in that culture, um, this is not what they would do. They would not use a name outside the family because it was all about the family name of that patriarch carrying on, carrying on that name, especially for a guy that's this old. Uh, We can't mess this up. So watch what happens as we go back to the text. Uh, And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise a child and they would have called him Zechariah. So I mean, that's just customary. That's what they would have done. 
and uh, just after his father, out of his, but then his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by that name. That's why, because it's customary. And they made signs to the father. It's the first evidence of charades in the Bible. And, and inquiring what he wanted to be called. And so here comes a moment, folks, as you look at that scene in the Judean hills, hill country where most of us fail. With mo- with our fam- and this is time for family and friends, right? Holidays. When the current of our family, when, when uh, public opinion, when everybody, what everybody's doing in the family is going one way, it is really hard for us to turn against that current and go the other. But I want to tell you that's exactly what Elizabeth does. Remember, Zechariah has no voice. He cannot do anything in this moment as they are planning to name that little boy Zechariah. Now, I want to remind you also that this is an interesting culture. First century culture, women were to be seen and not heard. They were to bear, bear the, the son, the name bearer, and then to you know, raise that child but not be heard. And I'm not being mean. That's just the way it was, okay? And yet, at a time when her husband didn't have a voice, she still had one, and she found her voice. And she said one powerful word, and that is no. That is no. I just love that. And I wish I could have been there just to hear how emphatic it was, how loud it was. But you know what? She wasn't saying no to be a poster child for women's liberation, okay? She was standing up for the person behind the name, Jehovah. She was standing up for what God said. She was standing up to say, I represent the one who gave me this name for my son who is a gracious giver. And so she said, he is to be named John. And I love I put up the chosen up here because that's what that pictures. This not only pictures, of course, the Christian life, that when you become a Christian, you're against the current. But this pictures many times as a believer when you have to stand up and say no to what family and culture and friends say and think and do and say, no, I'm going this way. Why? Because that's the way of Jesus. I'm not going down that wide path. I'm going down this one. I'm not saying that to be mean or judgmental. Let me say it in love, but I'm going this way because that's the the, the path forged by my Jesus. And that's why I'm going that way. And that's exactly what Elizabeth does. She found that voice. We need to find our voice, people, every one of us. And so, of course, as custom would have it, as family would do, they're like, whatever, and they make signs to Zechariah. And here comes Zechariah. Check this out. This is so cool. And Zechariah asked for a writing tablet And he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. That's like amazement, wonder, awe. Like they're like blown away, surprise. They're gasping for breath. What? And so I love this, that Zechariah doesn't hold back. He, of course, doesn't have a voice, but he wants to make it clear. So he gets a tablet and he writes it in black and white. I don't know what color it was, but it was, it was contrasty, okay? And so he wrote it down. So there was no question. And can I just say, that's such a beautiful picture of what God has done. That's the story of the Bible, folks. When the Bible began, it was, a, it was, it was for an oral society. It was spoken. And God began through story and through prophets and through psalms and songs and through, through visions and dreams. Uh, it was told and it was told and it was told over and over again. And that's how we learned about it, but then it was eventually written down for us to read in black and white. And then God sent his son into the world and Jesus came. And what was he doing at first? He wasn't writing anything. He was speaking. 
He was going out and saying the kingdom of God has come near. And he's speaking and he's speaking and he goes and dies on the cross and he speaks from the cross. He dies and he rises again and he speaks and he shares. And what does his disciples do? They go out and they write the story of being with Jesus on black and white for everyone to see. So this is this movement of the spoken to the written, telling the truth to the world is exactly what we're living in in this New Testament, right? In the New Testament times, in the, in, in, it's just a beautiful picture. And so it's a powerful example, too, I want to show you, of a couple united. Look at this. No, he shall be called John. His name is John. They had the same messaging. It's a beautiful picture of how um, those of us that are married need to be unified, first of all, in Christ and under Christ, that we're, they're one, we're made one, we're married, right? But then as we walk together in marriage, we're a picture of Christ and that we should have that same deep walk with the Lord, and we sit under his, his desires for us, and we talk about it. I mean, even though Zechariah didn't have a voice, you better believe they talked, and they prayed, and they discussed, and they remembered, and they reflected during that nine months and eight days, and God did an incredible work, and you can see the fruit of the work right here in their uni- unity, but you can see it, see it beyond that. Let's go on, because I, I want you to see this so beautifully. It's, their experience is what Peter describes to us in his letter. Look at this. He says, by, be truly glad, folks. Think of Zechariah and Elizabeth and what they went through. There's wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. What they went through in that nine months and eight days showed their faith was genuine. It's being tested. It's fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is more precious than, than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong, they found strength in the Lord. Through many trials, it'll bring you much praise or, and, and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Now that's talking about his second coming, but apply that to Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah that was going to be very soon. And so has it resulted in praise and honor and glory on the day when Jesus was revealed? Absolutely. We're still talking about it today. It gives glory to Christ that this couple had held true and they did not give up and they were unified in obeying God. And I love that. I love that. And they, they have that opportunity to follow God's grace through these trials and, and God graced them with the gift, uh, the next gift, which is obedience. They, they had this amazing obedience in that moment of testing. They obeyed. And uh, guys, that's no small thing. That's not something we can do on our own, you know? Uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah's tongues, uh, the, the effects of their obedience was praise and awe and talk and, and all these things. And this is just an amazing thing. But it's, again, like I said, it's not something we can do on our own. How did they get there? And let me just show you that the way they got there was they understood that God is with them. God was with them. God had not given up on them. Even though he failed, God was still there. And they continued to seek out the Lord but what we know is that Jesus being called, we sang about it, God with us, right? Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to give you one who's going to come, and it will be God in you. God in you. He is within us. He's not just with us. He's in us. He's within us through the Spirit of God. And that is the power for how we can obey, how our hearts can go from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, how we can change the pattern of our family from what it was to what it is now because Christ has entered and he's given me the will to obey. He's changed me. We got to believe that, folks. Is that what he's come to do? And we see that in their life. Even though disobedience can be so uh, common to us and so natural to us, Jesus can change that. And so I think the key is also seen in what Gabriel said in Luke 1, 19. He says, I'm Gabriel. Remember, this is Gabriel rebuking Zechariah. 
You can imagine him saying this very strongly. I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. I think that the one thing I see here that sticks out to me is that Gabriel, he says this statement so strong, uh, and it's, it's kind of a weird statement. To his disobedience, he says, I am Gabriel, and he speaks of who he is. Why? Well, Gabriel's name, very name means God is my strength. And I believe that, that, that Zechariah sat and thought about this encounter and thought about who Gabriel was and what he came to do. And don't you see in this amazing identity statement, I am Gabriel, and this is where I stand every day in the presence of God, and this is why I have come here. And you see that passion in Zechariah as he writes down almost like angrily, his name is John, in the face of everybody that wanted to name him something else. And they were like, whoa, are you kidding me? I believe he, he gained that strength from, from the name of Gabriel. He gained that strength from the confidence of Gabriel saying, I've come from the presence of God to tell you this. And so you better believe that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in the presence of God and sat there. And that's how they could, they, could, they could be unified in their statement. They could answer that way. I am Zechariah. Remember, his name means God remembers. I am Elizabeth, God of the promise. That was her name. And we've stayed in the presence of God. And his name is John. We need kind of that passion when it comes to the culture that's against us, guys. We need it. And so immediately, that's when the presence was experienced, and immediately his mouth was open. I believe that was a result not just of him writing that down, but I think it was him and his wife. The spoken word to the written word, boom, then his lips were opened. I think that's so cool. And so he, his last statement, the last time he talked, his words were words of doubt. Now, the first time he talks again, praise, praise, glory to God. Last time he talked, his worries were here, this earth. Now, his eyes are on this kingdom. Isn't that cool? That's a, that's a testimony to what happened in those nine months and eight days in his life. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but I have a guarantee that probably most of us are in that nine months and eight days. Open the box, look in there, soak in the grace of God. I'm telling you, God is up to good. And I love what it says in the, uh, in the message. Surprise followed surprise. <laughs> Zechariah's mouth was now open. And I just think that's so cool. And you know what? It was, it was a gift. It was the next gift, the gift of presence. Because I believe he lived, they lived in that presence of God. Uh, as it says that, um, that the hand of the Lord was with John, little John, uh, I believe they sensed the presence of God through that nine months and eight days. And in the days that followed, as people watched John, they could see that the hand of God was with him. Isn't that the coolest thing in the world, the most encouraging thing in the world, when you can be around somebody where you see the hand of God in their life? I don't know about you, but that encourages my faith. These guys, this people in the hill country got to see this with John's life. And that's a gift of the presence of God. Go grab onto that. Follow that. You know, don't go off on other stuff to follow on Facebook that's meaningless. Go after and focus on where God is working in his presence, and that is an encouragement to our souls. Because what did the angel say? The angel said about it, John, he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. And then that was fulfilled as it says that the fear came over the neighbors. All these things were talked about through all the hill country in Judea. All who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. That's presence. But look at this. I mean, this is so cool because... What you see happening as we, they witnessed this boy that was growing up in the hand of God was upon him, fear 
awe, which is awe, not I'm afraid, but I'm, I'm in awe of what God is doing, people began to talk, and the neighbors did, right? Those close by. And the talk went to those then who heard it on the hills, along the hills, and then what happened? They laid it up in their hearts. Can I just say to you, that's a really cool thing. When the presence of God is seen in your life, this is how it should be, folks. People should see the presence of Christ so strongly that what happens is that they're kind of in awe, not of you, but they're like, I want some of what that guy or that gal's got. Wow, what is that? Tell me more. And they should talk about it. And they probably talk with other people about it that hear about it. And then what happens is they talk and they hear and they, they are around you and they, they begin to be believe. And that's this picture of storing up in the hearts. It's the same thing that Mary does later in chapter two where she treasures things in her hearts. That's an idea of belief. People began to store it up and to believe that, hey, there is something special going on here. And I just want you to, say, to see this is how our lives should be for Christ. And if it's not the case, is what's happening is that there's no one seeing anything from my life. I'm literally like a mute person. And no one hears anything when they watch my life. My prayer for you is that you cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I want in my life. I want you to, to speak. I want you to show up. I want you to do things in my life that, that show people that Jesus is alive and that, that awe comes and then there's talk and that people hear and they can store up in their hearts that Jesus is alive and that he's there for them, that your presence is real. And that's my prayer for all of us right now. And of course, uh, they go on and we see that they ask this question, what then will this child be? My goodness, what, what is this kid gonna be? And in, in human fashion, I have a feeling that most of these people were kind of like, I bet he's the one, right? He's going to be the Messiah. And they're all excited about the wrong thing, the wrong kid. I mean, he's just the one preparing the way, right? But that's kind of what we do. But that's why it's so important, folks, that we are doing the work of going and building relationships and, and bringing people and, and, and getting in their lives because you might be the only person that can show them that, you know what, your, your ideas about Jesus are wrong. It's not the one you're... You gotta, let me show you who Jesus is. Let me talk to you about who Jesus is. Let me steer you in the right direction. You're the one that is like John, preparing the way so that you can understand who the true Jesus is, right? And so I wanna encourage you towards that, that, that he's placed you in people's lives to help them. But here's the cool thing. People were anticipating something. Isn't that good? Anticipation is a good thing. It's the whole reason why we do Advent the way we do is to create anticipation but that's what your life should be. Your life should be creating anticipation and thirst and hunger in the lives of others. And my hard question for you this morning is to ask yourself, is it? Is my life creating thirst and hunger and anticipation in other people's lives of what they are missing and what they're lacking? If it's not, oh, open that box, guys. Drink in the grace of God. Reconnect with what he's done for you so that you fill up with joy like these people did on that day, like I know Elizabeth and Zechariah did. You know, what was obvious about, about this boy was that the hand of the Lord was with him. The hand of the Lord was with him. And if you look at that word, it's such a beautiful word. It has the picture with, has the picture of someone not just being present with someone, but exchanging life with someone, helping them, lifting them up when they fall down, uh, collaborating with them on purpose, on destiny. That's the picture of how God's hand was with them. And that's how God works with us. If we open ourselves up to him and to his presence in our lives, he is there to walk with us like the best partner ever 
Just walk, which is why you should never look to your spouse, never look to your kids, never look to another person, but look to him only because he is the only one that can truly own this and be with you, okay? And that's what he was in the life of John. I think it's so beautiful. And by the Spirit of God, he was that way. And so, you know, I want to encourage you that, that we need to understand the grace of God more so we can understand his presence more, so we can be with him more and spend more time with him. But there's still one more gift, I believe, that God gave in this passage to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, it's the, and it comes in verse 59. Look at this. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. You might be thinking like, okay, yeah, we read that, but I don't see a gift there. What are you talking about, Jason? You've lost it now. And that's too bad because pastor's here to hear it. No, no, no. Let me, let me share. You, you ever ask yourself why the eighth day? Why in the world did they wait till the eighth day for the child to come? Well, you have to go back to Genesis. First of all, again, it had to do with a promise that Jehovah made to Abraham we talked about earlier. Look at Genesis 17. For the generations to come, every male among you is eight days old, who is eight days old must be circumcised. We all know what that is. They must be circumcised. My covenant is your, in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. How in the world can it be an everlasting covenant? Unless this is something that would live beyond Abraham and beyond his descendants and on into something much bigger, into a bigger kingdom, the kingdom of Abraham, right? And we talked a lot about this, but, but Leviticus, it, didn't, it went beyond Abraham showing the everlasting nature of it to his descendants, Israel. Here is Moses writing down, the Lord said to him, say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. So there's the... There's Part of the reason for the eighth day, on the eighth day, the woman's clean now. She can go to the ceremony for her son's circumcision, right? On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. So that's one reasoning. A second reasoning is, of course, the mother has the ability to have strength to go. The boy's feeling better to be able to be circumcised, ready for it after eight days. But can I give you another reason behind it that goes beyond the practical? And that, as I was reading about this, Jewish custom points to the fact that the eighth day also shows that the child's had a chance to go through more than one week, okay? And we all know that on the seventh day of the week is Sabbath. And so that child is able to, to be around uncircumcised for one Sabbath. And look at the, think of the picture there. The, 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 the skin, uh, the skin on that child is what separates them from the rites of the covenant, they, that, that represents our sin. And they are outside the covenant for one Sabbath until the eighth day. And I think that's a beautiful picture of how each of us comes in. Actually, Paul talks about this in Peter, or not Paul. Uh, this is all a picture of atonement. Let me just say that. Because we know that when circumcision happens and that skin is cut off, blood flows. And that, I believe, is the great, the last gift I want to share with you. Circumcision is a picture of atonement, of making atonement with the people, and that we actually live for a full, over a week in our sin, but then that is cut away and we are atoned for by the shedding of blood and by the, the taking away of flesh. And so we see John circumcised in this way for a picture, for that picture for us. And so I want you to see what Paul says in a deeper way, and when he picks up on this particular atonement thought, to the Colossian believers. In him, he says, in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh, 
and it was put off when you were circumcised by Jesus. So when we came to Christ, guess what? We didn't come to Christ in the seven days of the regular seven days. Actually, it was the eighth day outside of the order of creation. The eighth day is when Jesus came. That was the extra work outside of the seven days of creation. God said, there's an eighth day when my son's going to come. He's going to set everything right. And that's when we come to Jesus and he's the one, he's the one that's standing there with the knife and says, you know what? This knife's been first applied to me. And I was the one that put myself in the position of being cut away and bleeding so that you could be in the covenant with God again. So when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all your sins. Open up that box of grace. Look at it. And so the greatest gracious gift that God has given us is the sending of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, as our atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen? And, and that's what John was preparing the way for, was this atoning work of Christ. Do you see it? And, and if you don't see it there, then at least see it in the words of John himself. He grew up to be a man. He grew up to go to a river, the Jordan River, and baptize Jesus. And then it was after that moment, uh, as he saw, the next time he saw Jesus out in public, he pointed to him, and he sent his disciples, and he said, look at that, guys. Here he is. God's Passover lamb. This is the message, but it's accurate. He forgives the sins of the world. Go see that guy. He's our, not just a lamb, he is the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was the one to be taken and torn apart and his blood put on the, 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 the door so that the angel of death would pass over your house. And he's saying that's who Jesus is for the whole world. Why? Because he's come to forgive the sins of the world through the breaking of his body, through the shedding of his blood. And so I want to encourage you to go to that present as you approach Christmas, as you go through this season, man, shut off the phone, take time, apply the spiritual discipline that Zechariah and Elizabeth modeled of silence and solitude. and Get alone with God and just look at his grace and ask the Lord, how can I know your grace more? How can you open my mouth more? How can you make my life shine more, Jesus, so that I can be one who creates wonder and talk and brings the grace of God into other people's lives, Lord, so they store it up in their hearts? Let me close with this thought as we think about that box. Jehovah, this is your outline. I just want to apply it to you because it's not just about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Jehovah is the scandalous grace giver. It's scandalous because it doesn't make sense. Who would love like this, right? He fulfills his promises and his, he gifts us time to learn and grow and become. He gives us a new name, a new heart. He makes obedience possible by his indwelling presence, the Holy Spirit, through Jesus' atonement on the cross. That is what he gives you. And if you've never received that gift today, I invite you to do that right now. Simply just cry out to him and say, I'm a sinner. Please make me clean. Uh, and, and I believe in what you did for me on the cross, Jesus, and I am yours. Lead me. And you will be saved if you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus for your forgiveness of sins. But for some of us, we need to take that box, listen to the song, sing the song, and let it pour over us to help us remind us of the grace of God that's been given to each of us. May he give us a new vision for it this Christmas. Amen? Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray as we go into this time of singing and then we, we come to the table, 
that you would help us to pour over your grace. I, I think if we opened up that box of grace, that present of grace, and we looked inside, you know, you just might find bread and you might find wine. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that would beautifully represent the starting point of how we can reflect on the grace of God, what you did for us on the cross, Jesus. Open our hearts, open our minds, break our hearts, transform our minds as we remember what you've done for us, our scandalous grace giver. Thank you, Jesus. The glory and the, for the glory of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.